My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On my first ever episode of Dungeon Master's Toolkit, I talked to Joe Kiera from Is It Worth a Sandwich? His YouTube channel is in the show notes. We start out talking about his micro RPG that he's working on, Children with Wands. And then we talk a little bit about how he got into DMing, DM burnout, and finally move into some Dungeon Master tips. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening on. Be sure to comment your favorite part of the episode. If you're interested in chatting further or being on the show, check out our Discord server. Link is in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and let's get started. Today, I've got Jokira here, and we're going to be talking about some RPGs. And actually, it sounds like you have a micro RPG. Uh, Can you tell us maybe a little bit about that? The, the concept came to me whenever I was looking at some of those, just kind of other micro RPGs, kind of looking for some inspiration, kind of a quarantine lockdown, whatever project. And I had seen that there was a, a thing out there, uh, 400 word RPGs. And I was like, oh man, I can definitely do one of those. That sounds awesome. And then I started writing and it's like, okay, well, this would be a one page RPG. And it's like, okay, so this is going to be five pages. The, the basic idea of the game is, I think, something that a lot of uh, GMs or players have kind of thought about at one time or another. Well, what if my player rolls slightly too well on a check and what happens there? And it's I, I kind of wanted to take and explore that idea. The uh, basic premise is you are uh, children who are just coming into your magical powers. And when you roll a d20 to cast a spell... It is the D20 is how powerful the spell is, not how well you've performed it. So like if you were trying to blow out a birthday candle with a uh, little gust of wind, uh, you kind of want to roll between like a one and a four. Whereas if you're trying to, whereas if you roll like an 18, 19, 20 in that point, you're going to create a small tornado in the house. Oh, that's awesome. So it's really more on like varying the, the success level versus just did you do the thing exactly and yeah i've been working on it a bit uh, um it's it's called children with wands i'm hopefully i i'm most of the way through writing it uh i just kind of need to finish up a couple more sections of it and then it goes into the long arduous process of making sure that people can actually read and understand what you have said <laughs> How do you plan on releasing this? Is this something that you would post online or? Um, my The current plan is uh, to put it on DriveThruRPG and itch.io. Uh, currently, what I'm thinking is just sort of release the game as is and then uh, potentially probably for free or a pay what you want model. And then if you pay $5, I will throw in like, the playtest material that I've been using with people and just kind of write those up as modules. Sure. So just kind of like an extra content. Yeah. Just like uh, the the one, like I've been using like, Oh, the kids are at a summer camp for young magic users. And like, that was kind of the starting point for that. And I'm going to write a little mystery and do a few little things like that. Like, like three little one shots just so that you can, you know, have something to do. If I know not everyone likes, uh writing their own rpgs and th- th- that that is something i have kind of opinions on but yeah G- giving people at least a starting point sure yeah that makes a lot of- it sounds like a, a fun 
project. I mean, it sounded like for specific problems that you had with development, it sounded like, you know, kind of initially it was like, okay, we're going to do one page. And then that kind of grew, you know, maybe more than you expect. What, uh, what other challenges or was that like your biggest challenge you had to deal with? Probably the biggest challenge, and I, I, I've been on a couple of subreddits for talking about uh, game design, game creation sort of thing, and and that, the advice I got was don't let little arbitrary things that you're putting on your project stifle your project. If, if the thing needs to be five pages for it to make sense for people to read it, don't cram it into one page and make a worse product. Um. But, but like some of the issues I've had with is just like, oh, this make, t- makes perfect sense in my head. And then you try writing it down and it's like, oh, dear Lord, how do I explain this to people? And then you, you sit down and you talk with your roommate and a few other people. And it's like, oh, OK, yeah, this this makes much more sense to phrase it a different way or to change up the mechanic a little bit just so that it makes more sense. Sure. What's your primary inspiration? Is it certain systems? that you know you were inspired by or certain material or it was just kind of that one kind of fun idea um well my friends and i have been playing a lot of different uh, rpgs over the years and that's been a lot of fun so i've gotten exposed to a lot of different systems so it was just kind of like i hadn't seen something like this and it was just like there was that idea of paper i have to like get this out there because it's just it, it's fun and it's Kind of just, a, I thought, a, a novel concept for that. Sure, it doesn't hurt to, to share what you have with the world. and Exactly. Kind of, kind of what I'm trying to do here is just get everybody's opinions, because I know there's a, there's a lot of collective knowledge, you know, out there. One of the questions I maybe should have started with, uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got started in tabletop RPGs. Okay, yeah. Um, so whenever... I started in college. That was about 17 years ago, which age. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, we were playing the Star Wars uh, RPG, Star Wars Revised, for people who are in the know for that sort of thing. The uh, basically D and D 3.5 into a Star Wars system, and uh, I, I had played two games, and it was just like, oh man, I want to try this game mastering thing. It sounds really fun, and then I started. GMing kind of ever since. I, I I'm not a forever GM. I I let I love to play. We we between various groups, I swap in and out as a player or a GM. But um, I do GM a lot more than I play. Sure, I, I think anybody with the talent to GM tends to find themselves in that position. Uh, I know that when I, I I really enjoy playing, but then when I when I'm a player, I want to GM and make stuff up. And then when I'm a GM, I want to be a player. Oh, yeah, it, it, it can be a, a bit of a challenge. I mean, the one thing that our group, fortunately, or the one I've been playing with recently, has been very good about is that we're doing, um, if we're doing a longer campaign, if someone can't make it or we decide to break it up, we do just someone else takes on the GM reins and we play a one shot or like a, I don't want to call it West Marches because that, that, in and of itself gives it too much structure to what we were doing, but just like, oh, we're just playing the same characters again in different little things or or a game that takes place in that universe, but not in that continuity. And it's just like, if you want to figure out where that belongs in this long storyline, that's fine, but we're not worrying about that. So it, we've gotten to do a lot of more experimental stuff, which has been fun. And then you don't get, you're not getting bored of certain things or whatever either. 
Yeah, I mean, what was it? We were playing, uh, we played level 1 to 17 uh, D&D 5th edition for about a year and a half. And, like, that that's great. It's fantastic. It was, it was a lot of fun. But, like, we really did need those couple of weeks where we would stop playing D&D 5th edition and do something just different and weird and, and, and fun. And it just even just something just that took RPGs in a very different direction. Like, uh, was it two weeks we played Numenera, which was just tremendously fun. Completely different. Like in that game, if you're getting into combat, you're probably going to die. But it's more about like solving puzzles and doing like interesting uh like physics-based stuff. And it was just like, oh, that that sounds really fun. And it, it, we had a blast with it. And it was just a good two weeks thing that sort of reset us. And then we were able to go back to D&D full force. Yeah, kind of just a nice little palate cleanser. Exactly. That that would be the, the perfect phrasing for that. So you guys took a campaign from first level to 17th level uh, yes. over the course of a year and a half. I know I've played in a campaign that was probably about that same uh, length of time, but we did not get that far in levels. How? Um, and I don't well, know that I've ever played probably past like 6th or 7th level. So how does... It, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, you start, I know I've heard a lot of people say that D&D breaks down after a certain point. Um, it's like, oh, when, once you're high level, you can sort of handle anything. And it's like, yeah, you get a couple more abilities and a couple more things that, you know, you can handle stuff. But like, I don't think there's that much a difference between like a level 15 and 17th level character they maybe have like one or two more class abilities that are kind of powerful and maybe an extra couple of spells but like other than that like it's not that different once you hit a certain point our group it was i mean this was crawly sort of thing so it was just like okay cleric needs to burn his one big ability uh, so our gm would just throw something that would make me burn that one big ability so that we wouldn't have to deal with it in the uh, like big boss fight that he had planned. Well, it's kind of nice to have a DM that throws stuff at your characters that you know your characters are kind of designed to handle. Um, kind of. Oh a yeah, that can be a lot of fun. Kind of a challenge your players don't try to counter your players type deal. Yeah, th that was something that that our GM Jeremy was very good about. Is that like we would occasionally be there would occasionally be things that like we would have to think around and kind of like, okay, none of us have anything that can really effectively handle this thing, but he's not going to like, then just shove it down our throats the entire time. It was, here's something we're not very good at. You're going to give us time and resources and things to work around anytime it's something like that, just so that we get to feel very clever. Yeah. That's really cool. But, but yeah, like I, I, I don't know, something I love playing, well, obviously you love playing a, an, an encounter that is built specifically for your characters so that you get your, to shine, but I also just love building those kind of encounters that just every once in a while, like just the players, it's just like, oh no, we need a paladin who has this specific ability and this specific ability, and that's the only thing that'll save the day. And it can feel a little contrived, but like, who cares? Like, it's it's fun. <laughs> right. So, So what's your process for designing encounters? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I generally come up with an NPC or something like that that I sort of want to, or an encounter or just sort of an interesting situation that I want to build everything around and build everything towards. Um, 
uh, I'll, I'll use kind of one example I had uh, semi-recently. Uh, this was one of those just like, oh, we're just having fun and sort of doing something out there games where I was just like, I want to do a haunted carnival that the players get trapped in and have to figure their way out of. What do I need to do that's going to get them stuck in this place with this just kind of haunted awfulness sort of thing? Oh, their souls are start starting to get sucked out of their body. And if they, leave, they don't get that part of their soul back. And so like, perfect, great. Okay, how are they going to then solve that thing? It's like, and you just start like looking at those sort of things and start building out from there. Sure. So you take kind of a set piece idea and then really thematically kind of build around that central piece. Yeah, I th th that, that would probably be a more concise way of, of what I had <laughs> thinking. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's you take a central piece and sort of build out around there. Think about mechanics. Think about some fun things you would want to do. Uh, for that particular encounter, there were several crystals that were people that were the souls were getting sucked into, and it's like, okay, well, let's think about the ramifications of that. That means that other people have definitely died here and lost. Um, and then just kind of a fun mechanic I had there was the only way to kind of stop the thing was to find one of these other crystals that had someone's soul in it and stored out the magic that was doing that. And then the player uh, did that. The first player, the uh, uh, bard, did that. Uh, and I said, okay, you level up immediately. It has to be a cross class and take a new background. As then they absorbed part of the person whose soul had been absorbed into that crystal into them. That is a really cool idea. But you yeah. still let which them was also, choose. Yeah, which was then also fun because the that bard... Uh, lost their voice later on in that particular uh, game uh, to like a, a demon's deal and then started talking like the other person who they had absorbed. <laughs> that that sounds like a really fun, um, unexpected character change or character arc. Oh, yeah. Um, it, was, it was especially interesting for uh, who, uh, Monk who absorbed that and was just like, oh my God, I have completely changed my worldview. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, somebody that's maybe a little more uh, religious or spiritual in a certain way. Yeah, that would have big a uh, big impact on them for sure. Oh yeah, well, especially just the way that Kenku worked. It was just like, oh well, he absorbed a, a dragonborn. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, oh, I have all of these new words to use, and all of this other person's uh, just I ideas and things in my head. And it was it was a very it was a neat character moment. Yeah, I've, I've not heard of anybody doing something like that before, and it may be because I'm uh, relatively new to DMing and tabletop games compared to most people, but um, yeah, that's just a really awesome idea there. When you're planning out a campaign or, or, or even just doing a campaign, do you, do you think of the campaign as like kind of just a, a bunch of like certain encounters, or do you, you know, kind of how do you is it more like sandbox? How does that work for your players? So I tend to like to do a sandbox. Um, I generally, with the, the pitch for the game, just like, uh, we're doing this. It's going to kind of be about this thing, but there's going to be sort of a sandbox that you're going through that you kind of get to pick whichever path that you want to go around. There are going to be things you're going to be dealing with in this campaign and whether or not you address them directly, they're going to happen, which I, I think you kind of have to do in a sandbox. You, I, I suppose you could just throw players into a world and just sort of let them explore and do whatever. And, and, and that work 
certainly well for some GMs, but like I, I, I need there to be some kind of a through storyline that they're uh, working towards. Sure. So, so something's going to happen and then you guys get to decide how you're going to deal with it, basically. Best example I have of this was uh, the thing we had run before uh, the D&D campaign. It was, oof, geez, I don't know how long we were running this one, probably about a year. Um, it was a post-apocalyptic game. I wanted to play with factions and that you had these uh, four towns in this post-apocalyptic or post, post-apocalyptic wasteland, so the world's starting to bounce back, um, that are sort of, there's a lot of tension between them and they don't really want to work together, but then you have this faction of humans who are uh, like very, basically the Brotherhood of Steel. I'm, I, I, I could try and pretend, but no, I basically <laughs> just took the Brotherhood of Steel and made them the bad guys. And then the other group was a group of mutant animals that uh, hated technology, thought that like technology made you weak. You should rely on your natural abilities, your mutations and all that. And basically you had one on one side of the map, one on the other side of the map, and they were fighting each other and sort of going through the towns and trying to recruit the towns to their worldview. So that one turned out kind of interesting is like the players had choices of things they could do and how they were going to interact with the story. And it was very clear, like the setup was you're going to have to side with one faction or the other or the obvious choice that all players are going to choose in that situation, which was uh, unite all of the towns and go kill the two fascist assholes. (laughs) So so I'm assuming that's how it kind of played out. Uh, That is how that one panned out is yes, they, uh, uh, managed to unite all of the towns, uh, get the various resources that they needed to, and uh, just had a giant fight between. Um, uh, it was really fun, actually. It was probably, I don't usually like giant combat encounters, but this one was t- tremendous, where it was uh, all three factions fighting against each other in one giant fight. At one point, the uh, we had a swordsman who had a, basically a lightsaber at that point, chopped a helicopter out of the sky. <laughs> it was just this fantastic thing. And I, I, I did, you come up with like these kind of neat concepts and you build around them. And the concept I had kind of seen for the final bad guy in this one, uh, the big bad of one of the factions runs away so that he can be dealt with in one final encounter where he kind of wanted to reduce the area to rubble if it wasn't going to side with him and he was going to try and set off a volcano. At which point I literally got the thing that I've wanted to do since I started GMing, which was have my players throw the big bad guy into a volcano. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a pretty awesome moment as a, as a player as well. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and, and a lot of this ends up being, I, I see a lot of GMs that kind of have this very, like counter players try and screw them up and do different things with that. And I've never liked that. Like you, it's about telling their story and setting them up to be really cool. Uh, I I've done a little bit of uh, improv. Unfortunately that was right before the world ended, um, but that's also helped a lot for my more recent stuff where it's, it's an improv you're you're set it's not necessarily you're the one going for the laugh but like you're often just setting people up for other things and i think that philosophy has really kind of helped me just in being a game master sure i i know that improv is really important um i have not taken any specific like training or, or watched anything on it do you have any like major 
tips from that or just is that that just that just to set set other people up basically yeah i mean some of it is like it's not always going to pay off if you set people up and that's also okay but like if you just give your players enough like cool things to set up they'll eventually get to have those really awesome fun oh we're so badass moments uh also just if you're uh if you're like me in the pittsburgh area i would recommend trying out uh, arcade comedy once they're you know allowed to have in-person meetings again <laughs> that was where i was taking my improv classes and they're fantastic sure back on the the factions a little bit when you were running that campaign did you have like you know every so often like the factions would kind of do something outside of the players control oh god that, that was probably one of the the roughest moments in that campaign um yes uh the players had basically managed to make one of the uh major cities it was uh more uh more intellectual more free wheeling a bit hedonistic i say a bit hedonistic but very um where uh there was a merchant that was selling old tech uh he had very much sided with the players and it was very clear that that was the direction that that was going but and had kind of made a public statement um in partially because the players kind of needed him to to get more people on their side uh the uh one bad guys the brotherhood basically were like oh so you've sided against us completely are going with a different group and you have all of this easily stealable stuff if we murder you so the players so at one point that they just rolled up killed this merchant took all of his cool stuff the players uh found out whenever uh they talked to that guy's father who was a priest at a local temple and it's just it was this just really gut-wrenching moment where um it, it seems silly when i say it's a mutant spider but yeah there, there's this just mutant spider sitting in the middle of a dark uh church with just a sheet over his dead son sobbing when they come in because they needed to go there for a, a a secret clandestine meeting and it was just again it was one of those like oh man we are gonna burn <laughs> we are gonna burn the empire of man to the ground <laughs> yeah and after just, that because it, it wasn't really prompted by the players right so there's nothing they really did either way aside from getting them to side with their with their side of the conflict but then that was kind of the consequence yeah. that that's the big one is that play, whether they're good consequences are bad consequences players love when their actions have consequences that that's what i've found is that once you know seeing the world react in ways that they're not necessarily expecting or predicting players love seeing that i mean i love seeing it as well i i agree with that i like to see that and i i like that almost almost a proactive approach to it where it's not like like a game like skyrim where you don't the world doesn't really move until you kind of push it you know yeah. like and, and, these things were in motion yeah and, and like I, I love skyrim but yeah that, that is kind of an issue with it is that like oh no this giant civil war is happening and all this awful stuff but like aside from some random encounters you're not actually seeing much happen and it's something i love about rpgs is that um you can really have this progressive and the world react to the players in ways that you just can't have happen in other games. Right. And it makes sense in the context of video games when, you know, in that case, the game is really centered around the player. Um, 
but yeah, it's oh, sometimes yeah. it makes the world feel maybe a little bit less real because stuff isn't actually really happening without your. And and in a sense, an RPG is not happening without the player's like input. But like you can really just you can really make, get that feeling of that this world is dynamic. This world is going to go on and work without me and without my things. Uh, generally, it should always be that the world is going to get worse without the player's input. As opposed to stay the same as it would in in like Skyrim. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any tips for dealing with that or trying to make it more dynamic? Um, my my biggest suggestion just kind of is think about you know the the NPCs and what they want, and they should be working towards what they want. Um, in this case, it was you had these two factions who wanted to take over the area. Unless the players were actively beating them back, they were going to be doing that, and they were going to gain ground. Um, and the players could still go off and do other things. And like I wasn't go like if they were just like, okay, we found this cool uh, cave that we want to explore. I'm not going to punish them if they want to spend like three sessions exploring that cave. But if they do some like narrative stuff the uh, opposing forces should always be pushing on them and kind of forcing them to make choices. Each session, did you kind of have like a, this is what each of my factions are going to be doing or focusing on? You know, you, you went and explored this cave this session. Well, faction one took another town during that time. And then if you want to go deal with something else, you know, they took another town or how did you kind of space that out with I... like, what the factions were doing? See, that might have made a bit more sense uh, than what, what I had been going through, but it was mostly um, mostly a lot of like behind-the-scenes stuff that the players didn't necessarily see. Like, I knew that if they uh, went to this town, like, basically I knew whichever town they went to last was going to have the most influence from uh, the bad guys from the, uh, the more authoritarian ones uh, just because like that would mean that they would have had more time to kind of get a foothold there. Um, I like having systems and mechanics for that sort of stuff, but like at the same time, if you get a little too concerned about the systems and mechanics behind how this is going to work, you can kind of get, get in the weeds with that and think like, Oh man, they, They've really, you know, gained too much of a foothold because of how I rolled a couple of dice. And I don't know, I, I, I can like that a lot. And I think I think that can be, for some GMs, really what really works for that. But this one was more so, I, I didn't really do that. I, I probably, if I do this again, will try and include something more like that, something more tangible. But this was just kind of not. Yeah, and and at some point you can just kind of use your gut feeling as to I mean this is the logical next step that this faction or whatever would take, so like that's just what happens. Oh yeah, and, and my players were also really good about finding and beating back the various uh, things. Uh, the, the I've never actually played the game, but I've seen enough videos on Chrono Trigger. Everything that the players are doing is in some ways in service to the greater narrative. And that's something that like, I, was always, I always try and keep in mind. How long did you say you've been playing uh, GMing for? Um, I've been uh, playing and GMing for about 17 years. 
there was about a six month period in there where I, I walked away from it because of uh, a really one particularly awful session. <laughs> I can talk about that one if you'd like. Uh, yeah, if you're comfortable with it, sure. Sure. Uh, so, so we had been having kind of a murder hobo problem with our groups where uh, everyone had been kind of running very amoral characters. And I kind of wanted to step away from that because I was getting a little tired of running that of just like, it can be very taxing on the GM when the players are just not invested in the world, like purposefully and just like, Oh, well, I'm playing a game. I'm going to try and subvert the tropes and the mechanics of the game. And I know you guys aren't, I know you as a GM aren't just going to kill me with guards because that's what should be happening here. Um, so I was trying to get as far away from that as possible. And so I decided that like, you know, it would be really fun. Let's do men in black. Uh, and it was, we were playing in the uh, system D 20 modern, which is one of my favorite systems. Uh, the players were all potential agents who were coming into the uh, men in black to be recruited. And basically the first game was, Oh, you guys are going through your, uh, the, the training thing where, uh, it's it's very much about like trying to subvert the test and do that sort of thing where it was just like, oh, you need to get this ball off of this tower. And the one guy just took out his gun, shot the ball off the tower. And it's like, hey, you won. <laughs> um, and just a lot of like situations like that where I was trying to set the players up to not just try and think about how you want to solve this, but try and figure out how you want to subvert this. Um, and the players were having a great time. Everyone was sort of just going through this thing. And then uh, they hear an explosion and they get into the next room and they see that there's a on the wall and they're like, oh, is this part of the test? And then this alien comes out and attacks them. Um, th I had written alien off as dead there. I was like, there's no way they're taking this guy alive, but like through perseverance and working together and, and just some clever play, they managed to beat up this alien that is, has escaped from prison and subdue him. And I am just like over, I'm overjoyed. I love, I loved it. The, the players were uh, going to get a chance to interrogate this guy. I, that meant that I was going to get to move the story ahead into the more interesting parts a lot faster. It was just like, this was so cool. And then uh, one of my players who had uh, created a lawyer who he was a little frustrated that like some of his abilities weren't as useful during this uh, endeavor, uh, took out his gun, put it against the alien said head and said, objection overruled and shot him dead. At which point I was just like, oh, God damn it. You have just <laughs> ruined this game. Oh, man. Uh, one, because it's like, okay, one, because I had already started reworking in my head how the story was going to go with this guy who had managed to escape as part of the giant conspiracy. There were two, your character is dead, now executed my men in black because you killed a prisoner. Uh, three, the other people who just went through all of this are going to have to be neuralized because men in black doesn't want to see them, doesn't want you know, their new recruits to see them at their absolute worst right then. So it was just like, in one action, you have completely derailed the campaign completely. And I just, I was so frustrated. I, I, I walked away. 
I um, walked away from gaming for about six months and it just, it, it kind of broke me. Looking um, back on that, do you think there was a way that you could have kind of salvaged that or, or what are your, or do you think walking away, away was maybe just the best bet in I that think, situation? I think part of it honestly was that my players needed to see that there are consequences for their incredibly shitty actions <laughs> just outside of the game. Um, and it just like at that point I was starting to get burnt out. Like I, I wasn't going into that particular game with the best in the best headspace. Um, so walking away and taking some time off probably was the best option for me. Um, it was about six months later that I was reading just some message board stuff. There's a, a really great uh, website called Gnome Stew, which is like game master advice. And there was an article on there about uh, a one shot that like they had absolutely loved called N Median Res. And I decided like, I'm going to track this down and I'm going to play this because this guy is the way this person is going off on how great this one shot was. It's like, I have to play it. And I managed to get a group together and it really, it taught me so much about RPGs just in one session. And it really just rekindled that love I had for it. it, it it's a murder mystery where the, where everyone has amnesia. The, the game literally starts. And then all of a sudden it, it is, uh, if, if you ever have the chance to track down the, the game for listeners or whatever, uh, it's N median res. It's a call of Cthulhu one shot. Um, you probably with some current things have to rework one of the characters a little bit because just, it is it is Call of Cthulhu. It is very dark, but um, it goes a little too dark for one of the characters' background. And and if you read through them, you'll know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just recommend that he gets beaten up by his brother instead. He does not get sexually assaulted by his sister. <laughs> Got it. Um, yeah. Is that is that uh, for a certain system? Uh, it's for the uh, Call of Cthulhu system. Okay. Uh, but like whenever I run it, I end up just kind of doing a stripped down D20 thing where it's because the players stats are. So you just kind of come up with sort of stats for them, sort of have them roll. It, it, it kind of works well. I, I, I actually really like in that where the players don't know what they're good at. Uh, they have the little bit of background information that they get for their character who they feel they know they are. But um, like the one guy... I think it says that like he feels more comfortable when he's he's in control. He feels more comfortable if he has a gun. It's like, okay, so he's better at using a gun. He has more charismatic skills. Where the big kind of doofy guy, yeah, you can just kind of, you can kind of make the assumption what that character is good at. And you mentioned uh, D20 Modern. Um, yes. You said that's probably one of your favorite systems. You want to just talk about, you know, like why you like that so much? Sure. Um, I think mostly it's because it's a universal system that you can kind of do a lot with where the rules aren't going to change that much. If you're into it or you add um, uh, science or technology and you can sort of mix and match that sort of thing. Um, I know for a lot of people, that's what, Oh, sorry. The cat just jumped over a thing. <laughs> uh, the, uh, 
I know for, for a lot of people, fate kind of has that um, feeling for them now, but uh, I like a bit more of a structured game for a lot of my sort of things. And I don't know, just for D20 Modern, there's just so much stuff that you can use. And because it's based off of the 3.5 engine, if you want to include some of the stuff from D&D 3.5, it works. If you want to include some of the stuff from the Star Wars role-playing game, it kind of works. You have to do a little bit of kit bashing to make it, but like, it's just, there's so much there to work with. I, I've been really wanting them to do a new version of it because again, it, it's out of print right now. It's uh, kind of difficult to find a, a legal copy. And it, that gets very frustrating with a lot of these older books where, um, like, I remember seeing the uh, Star Wars RPG book that I have uh, just in a half price books. And I was like, oh, man, that's cool. Someone's going to get to play this for the first time. I wonder how much it's going for. And I picked it up. It's like $65. And I'm like, wow, that is a lot for this book. <laughs> and it was gone two days later. <laughs> It was cool that then I was just getting it's like, oh man, it's it's wonderful when you see it's like, oh, someone just is gonna get to get into this thing that I care deeply about. So I'm gonna ask you two questions. Tips for sure. new new DMs, because you know, that's just kind of like the standard question that everybody has to ask. But then I also want to know if you have tips for veteran DMs, because I feel like that's something that doesn't come up as frequently. No, I I don't actually see that one that question come up nearly as much. Uh, kind of my tips for new DMs, um, experiment. That That's kind of the, the big one is that you're kind of in this thing and you're getting to discover this just wonderful new hobby. There's so many different uh, avenues and things that you can go down and figure out and definitely try out those weird ideas you have, but um, just do one per game. I know that was an issue I had a lot as a new GM where uh, there was an alien invasion and zombies and this and that and that and that. And it's just like, Joe, Joe, one at a time. <laughs> what You have crammed eight campaigns worth of stuff into one game. Maybe just do the story about the cool cult. And then maybe you can have the alien invasion later. <laughs> But just my other just advice for um, I, I do think that the advice for veteran DMs um, is to play in other people's games so much, whether it's good or bad, you will learn a lot by playing under someone new. It can just shake you out of old ideas and other things you've done. Like I, I was falling very much into a rut probably about two years ago when we started doing these kind of just sort of different games. And it was just like, oh, I'm getting so many new ideas and new thoughts and new uh, philosophies on GMing that I'm just getting because I'm getting to play under different people. And you get to see kind of what they do well and you can copy that. Uh, even if someone does everything, you don't like it and you hate it. You come away from that experience knowing more about the hobby than you did beforehand. Sure, and then you can kind of course correct, like I want to do a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that. Exactly. That's that, something that I've kind of seen with, um, I, I end up reading a lot more RPG books than actually playing those particular systems, <laughs> but each system that I read always seems to have like, oh, this would, you know, this really isn't specific to this system. I could kind of use this over here just to make my stories a little bit better or whatever. 
Oh yeah. And, and that can be just something just wonderful with that is I also just recommend playing as many different systems as you can, or even just reading over them because you will find interesting and neat uh, things that you can incorporate and fold into your games. Like um, I only recently started playing uh, some of the powered by the apocalypse games and I absolutely love the uh, kind of failure spectrum of that, where you either fail a check have a mixed success or a success and that's just that's just interesting because usually for d20 based games it's so binary that you either passed a check or you failed a check yep uh i'm the exact same way i kind of found the powered by the apocalypse specifically dungeon world uh probably two years ago now and just watching people run that online and actually running it a little bit myself i yeah i realized that that kind of like fail forward kind of philosophy is is just very interesting oh yeah and, and that's something that you can even start incorporating into uh just D D or other other games like that is that okay they failed this check but i could also just like ask them hey do you want to pass this check and then something bad happens later yes interesting <laughs> And I think naturally DMs for like D and D kind of do that already because you know D there's not a specific you know target range that you're going for for any specific check right the the DM kind of sets a number in their head and says you know if you're better than this then this happens and a lot of times you know if you kind of get that kind of like well it's it's close then you know, some DMs will kind yeah. of do that partial success too, but it's not necessarily like codified like it is in, you know, the mechanics for a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there are definitely things where like, I've looked at it, it's like, oh, they failed their perception by one. Yeah, they, they just they just pass. <laughs> right. Because it's yeah. more interesting if they pass than if they fail. Do you use, one of the big things that I took from like Dungeon World, it was the uh, grim importance where it's like, here's like a handful of things that are going to go wrong and kind of every time that your players fail or something happens, you know, you, you want them to succeed maybe in that instance, but then you kind of tick that like doom track farther along as, the, you know, bad stuff is happening. Do you use any of that or have you seen that? Uh, I have actually not seen that. The, the only one that I, I have a little bit of experience with of the power of bleh, powered by the apocalypse was Monster of the Week, which um, absolutely love. But I've been two sessions of so far, that is actually a very cool idea of just kind of having a doom tracker that, like, as they fail, as things happen, it gets kind of worse. Now that's a really cool idea. So I can just kind of talk. About, it's almost like a timer. I know some games talk about timers. And, and, you know, they might be tied to, like, you know, a certain number of turns or sessions or, you know, something, progress. Um, yeah, with the Grim Portance, it's um, – and the one that I remember, I think it was in the book, was they're, like, going through this cave, and it's actually, like, a, a lich dragon. And every time, like, something bad happens, like, they, they fail a check, then, like, kind of the next thing happens, right? Like, the first time it's just that they kind of hear like some creaking or something around them. And the next time, you know, it's getting louder and you can hear like just more noises. And then, you know, the next time, like a, a couple large bones just come like skittering across the room to go somewhere. And then by the end of it, if they actually, you know, fail enough times like this, this Draco Lich is coming out, you know, so just kind of like a, 
ramp up the tension, even if it's not necessarily affecting them immediately. It's just kind of like, oh, crap, something's happening here. No, that's a very cool idea. And again, it's one of those that, um, again, you just the advice I give, very salient, is play as many different systems as you can, because like I'm definitely going to steal that. That's definitely going to get used the next time I run D&D in some creepy cave or something is... Yeah, just having something like that that like builds the tension based off of how many checks they fail. That's that's brilliant. Um, so I'll give you just one more example of that. I used it in uh, it was kind of a skyship game, and they were um, it was basically a storm was coming, right? So the it was kind of the you can see storm clouds, you can tell that they're coming this way, and then, and then the storm's getting closer, and then you know you have that moment where like it's really calm all of a sudden because like that column before the storm. And then after that, then it was like, okay, now it starts to rain. Now you got to start making, you know, dexterity checks to, you know, stay on the deck of your ship. And, you know, now there's lightning and stuff happening. So, you know, you just kind of ramp up the tension that way. It was a lot of fun. They, they ended up avoiding most of it, but kind of gives you that, the players a little bit more sense of urgency. Like they can't just stick around somewhere forever because it, it's getting worse. No, that that's a very cool idea. I, I, I like that a lot because it also, it, if you're just doing that and you have a mechanic behind it, it can feel very cheap that you're just kind of like, oh, you're just throwing it at this them now for no real reason. But if it's if it's tied to something that that's very cool. Well, hey, I'm glad I could give you some inspiration. So my podcast there you go. Is, it's officially a success here. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> one person. So, exactly. No, it, it's again, it's. All of these people are coming at this hobby from just different directions with so much different weird experience. And it is very good to just be able to share that and learn about RPGs because there's there's so much out there. Like I said, I, I bought a book uh, just a couple of uh, weeks ago. I haven't gotten a chance to run it yet, but really looking forward to it. And I picked it up just because it's got this just the strangest name. It's called uh, Dinosaur Princesses. <laughs> Just, it seems so strange and out there, and I'm, I really want to like uh, just explore this whole thing. It, it seems like a very simple system, and it, it's about like building the role based off of what you're good at, and it just seems really cool. And like, definitely one of those things that you do for more one shots than you do for something kind of long and out there. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to just giving this one a try. Cool. Another another one of them palate cleansers, maybe just to kind of exactly. things up a little bit. So, kind of talking about that, are there specific like tools or or books or websites or anything that you you know like really like have to have when you're you know either playing a <clears> game <throat> or prepping a game? So, so I'll, I'll plug this. Uh, it's one of the websites that uh, I use all the time for this sort of thing. It's called Chaotic Shiny random table generator thing where it'll just be like um oh you want a bar it'll give you the name of the bar what the bartender looks like uh any notable patrons how many dark corners there are and the bar's signature drink and it's just like oh this is really cool and it gives you this great jumping off point it's just like 15 or 20 different uh random uh tables it, it is fantastic uh, I've had one conversation with uh, 
online with the person who actually runs the website uh and they are an absolute delight and it's just like oh that makes me feel even better about it um one that i actually have i can send you a link uh it's it's a thing that uh is actually originally developed by the person who had made chaotic shiny uh and i had been poking at it for years and just sort of making it my own i have this uh sheet that I uh, give to people to fill out that's just sort of a player survey about like to kind of get an idea of where their head's at like I, I give 10 different kinds of treasure which one of these would be the would you be the most excited to find uh on a uh on an adventure and it's like uh, a plus one weapon or all these different things but they're all about like okay well this one means that you would want more information and it's just sort of like that sort of thing in it I have found it to be just this very helpful thing to get an idea of where the players' heads are at. No, that actually makes a lot of sense because I think one of the challenges that I've had as a DM is not necessarily knowing what the players want to get out of a campaign necessarily. And and if you ask them directly, they may not even know. You know, like they're just here to sit down and have a good time, but that would kind of indirectly lead you to those answers. Yeah, the um, here I'll bring it up real quick so I can actually look at it. Um, like I know one of the things that I include in there is uh, here are hundred points, uh, split them between combat, social encounters, exploration, shenanigans, intrigue, and puzzles, and that just gives players the idea that like okay, I don't want any intrigue, I hate puzzles, but I really want a lot of exploration and shenanigans, and that is just I have found that so helpful. Yeah, I completely can see where that would be really helpful to just know, kind of gauge what your players are interested in. And I'll make sure to include that in show notes or whatever. All right, excellent. Yeah, it, it, it's something that like I have found, I found helpful, especially when you're dealing with players you haven't played before. Like um, the group I'm playing with now, I generally know what they like and what they don't like. It could be so just frustrating whenever you're playing a game and it's just like there's so much here that I do not care about. Right. Uh, do you typically find yourself playing with kind of the same group, you, you know, like friend group or? Um, I try to play with as many people as I can. Uh, we generally play Sunday mornings. Uh, this one group that I've been with for a while, it's uh, a few friends and that one has worked really well. Um, I've been trying to get, I always, I'm the guy who's always trying to get a D and D group together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I, I, I like playing with my usual group and it has been nice to have like a consistent group again for a bit, but it's also made me kind of want to get out there and try something new and try something just different and weird. So do you tend to go like online to find people for that? Uh, no, um, I have only played online. Well, I, I, again, playing online versus in person, but I've only played online with strangers a couple of times. And that, yeah, that went all right. <laughs> <laughs> I have not played online with strangers before, so I don't have a, a gauge for how that would be. It's always been just people that I have known through college or, you know, whatever. So. Oh, yeah, that, that, that ends up being the, the easiest one is that just like, it's it's a lot easier and I think a lot more fun with friends. I know a lot of people do like the uh, D&D &D sort of thing. And I, I 
once the world is the world again, I do want to go to a couple of those just to see what it's like. But I don't know. It, it just, it always seems much more fun to do this with friends. And there's a level of comfortability there too, you know, cause you're, you know, yeah. these people. Exactly. So do you prefer playing online or in person? Honestly, it really depends on the game. Um, I like a lot of the features that the online can do. Um, like I like having some of the maps and all of the, the math and the notes just kind of there in one place. And, and, and that can be very helpful. I mean, my one friend, uh, the one who's developing a, another RPG system, uh, he had moved to Finland to uh, be with the woman he married. Uh, and it's just been nice that like, he's part of my Sunday morning group is that we still get to hang out with Derek and Maya because even though they're on literally the other side of the planet and right. I couldn't do that like any other way. So in a lot of ways it's been necessity and with the pandemic, it has just been a kind of necessity of playing online, but I am going to really look forward to playing in person again. And, and there are th some things I think that work better in person. Like if it's going to be something more theater of the mind, I prefer to be face to face just so that you, you know, can like look at the people and sort of get a bit more of the, the, the in-person interactions with that. But like, if it's a dungeon crawl, nah, screw it. Just do it online. I, it's going to be easier. It's going to be easier than miniatures. Um, I found, I really like roll 20 for, uh, almost prepping as a as a DM at least for I'm kind of doing a Star Wars campaign and there are some Excellent. really nice uh, sci-fi maps that are fairly big so I can just kind of like okay here's the map of my like cyber bar and I'm just gonna like populate it with a bunch of tokens of kind of like what would exist in there and then I can just you know reveal those to the players as I kind of move about you know and then if they don't see certain ones then you know whatever but it's it's kind of a quick way to just populate a, an area oh yeah and, and that could be crazy useful and i and i actually thinking about it um i've run two murder mysteries uh in D D, and i would not have been as easily able to do those in person just because like being able to keep track of where everyone is at any given time is so much easier to do on an online thing i like that a lot for that is there anything do you have any you know, like questions for me, like just about me or about the channel or anything. Yeah. It's just kind of like, where, where did you kind of get started on RPGs? So I am probably a forever GM. Um, I was, when I went to college, uh, I had a, I kind of came into a friend group, um, but I was, I was younger than them. Right. So they had kind of like their established friend group already. But and they kind of like took me under their wing a little bit at the time because um, I was in one of the clubs that they were in. Um, so I hung out with them a fair amount, uh, and they they had talked about having a I think it was a three point five game that was running, and I had kind of asked them about you know getting involved or joining, and they kind of said you know it's going to be kind of hard to add somebody else at this point, and you know whatever. So that was kind of a turnoff a little bit, but I just really wanted to, I was just really interested in that idea of like, it's like a video game, except you can do whatever you want, you know? Yeah, that's, that's been one of those things that like, 
the, the pitch that I, I give to people, it's just like, if you want to play an RPG, it's just like, you can literally do, you can literally try to do anything that you would want. If you go up to the bad guy and you hear his master plan, you're like, actually, that's a really good plan. Let me give you some pointers. I'm joining you now. <laughs> right. Yep. So that, that, like, that's level fine. Of, that level of freedom was what really kind of attracted me to him, but I didn't really have anybody to play because the, you know, the one group that I wanted to kind of join wasn't really taking people. Um, and there was a couple other people that I had worked with and stuff as I went through college that also had groups, but it's kind of the same situation. So I ended up, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get my own book and my own stuff and I'm going to, you know, figure out how to do this. So I ended up buying the starter set for the age of rebellion, the fantasy flight star Wars okay. uh, game and basically forced my, you know, at the time girlfriend into playing with and my sister you know and just like i'm gonna try and run this i've never played a game before in my life and i'm gonna try and run it um oh, yeah. you know took them through the the starting adventure and it was i mean obviously looking back on it now absolutely terrible but yet at the same time it was still a lot of fun and and i've definitely learned a lot since then um oh yeah that that is the thing is anytime you're a first time GM, like you're going to screw up, you're going to screw up bad. You're going to miss like half of the rules. I, I think about my very first time GMing. Um, we did skills entirely wrong. Like <laughs> players had players had like eight times the amount of skill points they should have. <laughs> got superhumans over here. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. So it, that's kind of where it started. You know, I just kind of got into it. And then um, we had another friend that was like, hey, do you want to play in a D&D campaign? I'll run it for you guys. And we're like, uh, yes. <laughs> so because I had kind of sparked the interest in my um, my wife and my sister. And then when we had somebody come in who's like, yeah, I play, you know, online all the time with other people, you know, run it for you guys. So, so that was our year long you know, D and D campaign until he moved. So, and that really kind of opened my eyes a little bit too, to just like, okay, here, you know, this is maybe how I should be handling things or, you know, whatever. And then since then kind of been on and off as a player DM just for um, family and friends. And then always just looking to okay. get advice from other people and, and hopefully share a little bit of advice with people as well. Because there's so much just collective knowledge out there that like, again, just stays with one person if they don't actually share. Right. And my other thought was you don't have to be a, you don't have to DM for like three decades to, to have advice either. Like I, I am, there's a couple people that reached out that said they've been DMing for less than a year. And I think it would be super fun to interview them and just see what, you know, they're going to have a different perspective on things than somebody oh, yeah. you know, who's been doing it a lot longer, you know? So well, especially just like uh, like new GMs, because they're bringing in so many just different ideas that like if you've been playing for a while, it's very easy to like to have your ideas be very solidified and like this is how you do it. But like with newer GMs, they're experimenting, they're figuring stuff out and doing all that stuff and are going to be coming at it with a new thing because they haven't really figured out like their style yet. And that can just lead to some wonderful, just neat experimentation. 
Right. That like not, more experienced GMs just do not do. And you're maybe not as ingrained in like this is how things are supposed to work or Exactly. Uh, there's also just a lot more RPG stuff out there now in systems. The wide array of just different types of exposure that people are even gonna have, I think is gonna be interesting. So Oh yeah. And we are getting kinda close to time here. Uh, I, I can plug my social media thing if that is all right. Yeah, go right ahead. All right, uh, my channel is called uh, on YouTube. It's Is It Worth a Sandwich, where we compare video games to sandwiches and tell you which one's the better deal. Uh, but we also do fun novelty or niche cocktails. Uh, I do a series where I've made short D and D animatics that have been about like advice or short stories or things like that. And um, just I've been having a blast doing that, kind of learning to draw and learning to do these kind of crummy little animations. <laughs> Sometimes those are the best to watch. Puffin Forrest. Watch <laughs> him. Watch him instead of me. He's much better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have definitely uh, watched a bunch of his videos. So. Oh, yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah, I will definitely be checking out your YouTube channel as well. So plus one subscriber on this side of things. Excellent. Um, honestly, just, I really appreciate having you on and just nerding out with me for an hour. Um, yeah, it's, it was ton, great. Ton of fun for me. Um, we may have to do another one at some point. Uh, Excellent. If I, yeah, if, I, I I ever get, if I ever get through my backlog of all of the people who have, <laughs> have said that they would love to be interviewed. Um, yeah, I would definitely love to have you on again. And then maybe your channel will be a little bit farther uh, on at that point. That's but, that's um, the hope. <laughs> right. So And and hope. hopefully by that point I will have finished uh Children with Wands. Oh, that would be a perfect time to have you back on. Yeah. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure. Definitely for me as well. I thank you again so much you know, for taking time out of your day to talk to me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.